And uh, I, I want to just make a, a general uh, statement. Uh, we're after at the end of service today, we're going to do something. Uh, uh, we're going to we're going to take communion uh, after the at the, at the end of service uh, today. And I want to tell you that uh, the reason we're going to do that is because the resurrection of Jesus Christ and Christianity stand or fall together. You can't have Christianity without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ was, do not be fooled, it was uh, done not only for our salvation, but so that we could have something called Christianity and the church here on earth for mankind. It was done for the weak. It was done for the hurting. It was done for so that people could be reached in such a way that they would not be able to be reached. They wouldn't be able to be reached unless Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. And that is why, uh, even though I didn't have the perfect home life growing up, even though I didn't have the perfect family, even though I was just like you in a mixed up world with all the, 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 the crazy things, I am so grateful that I can say that I am a, a, an American who grew up and uh, had the tradition, at least, of Easter. The idea of Easter. That this is not a holiday that I shy away from, for instance. This is not a holiday that I that I am ashamed of. I don't I don't sit there and worry about all the semantics that people want to hope at, because I know something that there's a uniqueness and a superiority to genuine Christianity, and it's not in its ethics, it's not in its morality, it's not in its religious concepts, it's not the fact that Ben Shapiro likes it. But it's the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there are various statements that I can say about the importance of the resurrection. But I'm going to just name a few before I get started here. You know, all but four of the major world religions are based on mere philosophical propositions. All but four. And of the four that are based on personalities... Rather than a philosophical system, only Christianity claims an empty tomb for its founding. There's millions and millions, and of all the millions and millions of Jews, Buddhists, and Mohammedans out there, they agree that their founders have never come up out of the dust of the earth. Not one of them. Can make that claim or does. Christianity does. See, what I want you to understand is that if the resurrection is not a historic fact, then the power of death remains unbroken. And if it remains unbroken with the effect of its sin and the significance of that, and Christ's death were to remain uncertified this morning, And believers are yet in their sins. Precisely where they were before they heard who Jesus was. 
significant fact. It's very, very important that we see that. I'm going to read some lengthy scripture. Bear with me this morning. Because I want you to think about what I'm saying about the resurrection of Jesus. I want us to leave here alive. Let's uh, read from the word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory that I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remains unto this present day, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meant to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith also in vain. Yea, and we raise, yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain. And ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. And in this life only we have hope in Christ. We are all. We are of all men most miserable. Let's pray. Lord Father God, I ask you this morning to pour out your Holy Spirit upon this place. And I ask you, Lord, to do the miraculous, to bring life. I ask you, Lord, Father God, this Easter Sunday, as we commemorate and we memorialize Jesus' death and resurrection, I ask you, Father God, to let us leave here with the life, the spiritual renewing, and the Holy Ghost of God inside of us. We give you all the praise and the glory in this place. Be glorified and have right of way today. And everyone said, Amen. I know that many of you who are here this morning understand this uh, in a uh, ideological sense, uh, in, a, in, a, in a you know, in the sense that you're you're not dumb. You've been in church before. 
you, you know uh, what the Bible says, many of you. Um, and the reason I am emphasizing it so strongly this morning is because it's, it is integral. Um, and it is an element of the gospel that was really mistaken from my life. I say mistaken because I was told that Jesus died and rose from the dead. But it was mistaken because I did not understand what that meant. I grew up an entire life not understanding truly what it meant for Jesus to be a man who came down from heaven, born of God, and who died, and then rose. I just thought of it as a story. I thought of it as an intellectual idea. I thought of it as something that was metaphorical to our condition. I thought it was something that we would do so that we had hope. But I never understood where the hope was. And I went to church every Easter. And I wore a suit every Easter. And I wore a tie every Easter. I mean, I still have pictures you know, from when I'm a little boy, you know, they put joy in my heart. The problem is, I never became a man of God. I fell there. Somehow, Jesus, he didn't, he didn't enter into me and give me new life. See, the gospel that I'm declaring unto you, by which you are saved, if you keep in memory, first of all, how Christ died according to the scriptures and then he was buried and rose again the third day, it will change you. It's more than just a sign. See, Matthew 12, 40 says, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. See, it is what is given to designate and distinguish and authenticate what Jesus is trying to do for you. It's to give proof to people that Jesus has power that no one else has and that it was given to him by God the Father. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lively, that means to live, to have life in all of its parts. Not simply to exist. Not simply to have a presence, but possessing a quality of life. A property that's being communicated by God to us this morning. See, it's the foundation of life and power. It's where it really comes from. It comes from God through the earth. See, we need revelation. We need the realization and the power and the dynamic that works in and through Jesus Christ to be working in and through and you. Ephesians 1.18 puts it this way. 
as he preaches to the church and he writes this letter to them, he says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what it is, the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his right hand in the heavenly places. It's that same power that caused Jesus to be raised from the dead that is working in, or at least is available to you and me. It's not always working in us. There's a nature to life. There's a nature to power. See, Paul's prayer is to catch a glimpse of it. He's saying to lay hold of it. To let this work in us be expressed through our lives. To bring boldness and confidence to us. See, many people are doctrinally convinced. Many people believe. There are a lot of theologians, for instance, that look at the Gospels and they look at it from a clinical perspective and they say, well, this is more realistic than what we know about Julius Caesar. The problem is, not all of them have that life being demonstrated. See, not all of them look at someone who's dying and desperate and say, Jesus, come here and lay hands on him. That doesn't happen. I can tell you, I grew up Catholic. When they see someone dead and dying, they go to a little room and they get some equipment and then they come out with their equipment and they lay it on the table and they start to fold it all. It's quite a scene. I know because I've been there. I was there when my grandmother was dying. The Catholic priest came in and did his ritual. But I'm talking about transcendence. Because we need transcendence. We need to transcend where we are. That goes beyond that. To cross beyond a span or a range. To rise above the limits. To surpass everything. To exceed everything. To be superior to everything. And to be supreme. You know, I'll tell you something, as a husband, one of the things I'm learning day by day is how much I fail. Thanks, brother. Not necessarily something I'm proud of. But I bring it up right now because, see, I know for my wife, I am to be her covering. I am to be the one who God imparts into so that I can impart into her. I know that. I know deep in my heart, deep in my spirit, I know the need for that. Jesus was a man. God did that intentionally. He didn't do it mistakenly. He did it purposefully. And you know, my wife, she needs to feel the supreme power of God. The superior power of 
human limits and experience. You know, that are beyond just the reach of the ordinary and the everyday and the common. How many people hear about divorces and, and the real thing that most, most, you know, yeah, there are the dramatic, the, you know, detail. But nowadays you see something different. You see couples divorce and they, they write these long letters on Twitter or wherever, telling everybody about how much they love each other and how much they respect each other and, and how their lives have just grown apart. They've become common. And I started to think about that, and I was like, are these guys just folded? And then I thought to myself, maybe not. Maybe everything does rely on the fact, the fact that Jesus has to do something transcendent, especially as the end's days come. See, people just, it's just common for people to just move on and on and on. Move on in marriages, move on and in, in, in churches. You know, they celebrate stories. I, I love when they celebrate stories about how some guy who was a total loser and left his wife and has three kids with her, now he meets some other life girl and now he's, he's turned his life around. He stopped drinking and now he's, you know, he's this guy that everybody's proud of and he's got a new wife and they're going to have a new kid He's 64. And they want to write a, a, a personality piece about him. I mean, I'm glad that you found some happiness. And if you found Jesus Christ, I'm more glad than ever. But I don't think he's the kind of guy that I need to put up on the, the you know, on the podium. While his other three kids and wife are at some other church. Because we're talking about transcendence. We're talking about power that's beyond ourselves. See, you can lose sight of the resurrection. And you've got to remember that all this is in the light of the resurrection, not ourselves. It's the fact that Christ has risen that makes this credible. You don't make this credible. A lot of times people get so defeated because they're, they think that they're somehow supposed to make Jesus credible. Oh, you know, I, I still messed up. I'm still... I still, I woke up the other day, I wanted, you know, I just wanted to sleep all day. Jesus must not be real. I still don't do my, my homework on time. Well, who's this Jesus guy? I mean, I don't want to do it either. He must not be real. No. See, that's the world trying to attack your faith. That's the world trying to do something inside of you to disprove or discredit what Jesus has already accomplished. See, we're human. We make mistakes. We also retain bad things. We keep bad things in our possession. We should all be called Achan. In the Bible, there's a guy, you know, his name was Achan. He liked to keep things. Infected a whole people. The world is affecting you. And you need the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. You can't just take it for granted. You can't just intellectually believe in it. Because it's the thing that gives substance to your faith. It's the substance. Without the reality of the resurrection, all of it is in vain. That's what 
who Paul says in the scripture, it has no value. That's what in-game means. It has no substance. It has no meaning. It has no purpose. It's empty. If Christ be not risen, all my preaching is in vain. It's wasted. I keep going back to this in my mind when I deal with people because, you know, a lot of people think that my motivation is to win people to myself or to win people to the church. And that's not my motivation, guys. My motivation is for Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ to become real to you. For you to look at dead things and, and say God can give them life. No matter what they are. No matter how dead they are. No matter dry bones, man. How about smushed uh, muskrat on a highway? That's what I'm talking about. But see, you see resurrection power because it's in you. That's my goal. So many people are trying to agree on things. Let's find 25 things we agree on, then we'll all be good. Yeah. I mean, I know it's a, a long list, but there's a lot of people out there. We need to have at least 25. That's the only way peace is going to be found. It's impossible. What you need is to be raised from the dead. I was going to read the scripture. I might read it tonight. I haven't decided. I've written three script there's three services just in case one of these goes really bad. Then I can just jump to the next one. <laughs> but I was going to. I was gonna. I was gonna this morning talk about how Jesus grunts all the time when he when they're telling him uh, things in unbelief. It literally says in the Bible he groaned. And I thought about that. Why is he groaning? It's because when something dead tells you something else is dead, you kind of groan. You know, it's like when you're a worker in the field and one manager, right, tells you about another manager who isn't doing their job. And you just groan because you're like, none of you guys do anything. <laughs> you groan. Because you know, they, they don't do that. You're the one that's out there doing it. Jesus, when we talk to Jesus about things, sometimes he groans because he's the one who's raising people from the dead. And he's the one that's going to die for us and show us what faith is. See, a lot of us, we think, oh, it's so hard. And it is hard when your faith rests in arguments or doctrines. Or here's a good one, kids. Superfluous proofs. You can Google that later. See, there's a lot of reasons why people believe, but they usually end up leading to nothing See, verse 32 says, After the manner of men I have fought with beasts and Ephesians, what advantage it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. 
you know, let's just get drunk, let's party, man. That was my attitude. Get the most fun and pleasure out of life that I possibly can, because what's the point? We're all gonna die anyways. See, what you need in your life is you need something that creates expectancy for you. You need something inside of you that creates an expectancy that says, if Christ rose, then something is going to happen for me. I'm going to be saved. I'm going to be delivered. I'm going to have an answer to prayer. You know, I want to tell a story this morning, and I hope you haven't heard it. It's not one that I made up. It's about a teacher. Her name was Miss Miller. And she had 20 students. This was a few years ago before there were as many rules in place. And she taught at St. Teresa's uh, uh, elementary school. And she was a fifth grade teacher. And she had a young man who wasn't in fifth grade. His name was Michael. And Michael had a um, disease that was a terminal illness and he was going to die. And Michael was uh, much older than the other children. He was like 15 or 16 years old, 17 years old maybe. And he was in this classroom and Miss Miller was very, very conflicted because they put him in this classroom and she knew that he had special needs. That he needed someone to take care of him. And most of the time in the classroom, he just sat there and he slobbered and he would make noises and he became quite a distraction. The other kids would poke fun at him at times and he would be oblivious to it. Every once in a while, he would look really intently at her, but for the most part, he really did not respond. There wasn't much to Michael in her eyes. And even though she cared for him and she wanted to do the best, in her heart of hearts, she was frustrated. And she was thinking to herself, this isn't going to work out. This isn't a good thing. And so finally, when they had the teacher-parent meeting, she said to the parents, you know, I'm sorry to say this, but Michael needs a better place to go. He needs a special needs classroom where he can learn. And the parents looked at her and they said, well, Michael really likes it there. And to be honest with you, the truth is that Michael really likes you too. And he'd like to stay in the classroom because it would be really hard on him if he had to move and go to some other classroom. She put her head down and she was still, to be honest, quite frustrated. And then it got worse. The next day, she went into school, and she started to teach the kids. And in the middle of class, 
Michael walked up to her, and he used to drag a rag like this, and he walked right in the middle of her teaching, and he said, Miss Miller, I love you. All the kids snickered and laughed at him and began to uh, snicker, and she became blushed and red and embarrassed and just said, okay, Michael, that's nice. Sit down, please. And she went home, and she was even more angry. See, it hurt her. It hurt her because she felt like there was nothing she could do. And she knew inside what her heart felt. She knew that the truth is she just wanted to teach the class of 19 normal kids. So Easter began to come. And on Easter, she gave out an assignment. The assignment was to take an egg and to put inside of that egg something that represented new life. She told every kid to go home, think of something to put inside the egg and then bring it the next day. And as she went through the class, one kid, all the kids brought the eggs up to the front and put it in a basket and she started to pull the eggs out randomly. And as she pulled out one of the eggs, she opened it and there was a flower inside. And she said, oh, that's beautiful, a flower. That really represents life. And little Susie raised her hand. She goes, I thought of that all on my own. She went to the next day. She opened it up. She jumped a little bit. There was a frog in there. She's little Johnny laughing. He said, do you believe it was a tadpole when I put it in there? She said, very good, Johnny. Very good. She went through several of these eggs and she finally got to an egg and she opened it and it was empty. She embarrassingly closed it very quickly and put it down and she knew inside of herself that it was Michael's egg. She put it down and she just went to the next egg and as she went to grab the next egg, Michael said, Miss Miller, aren't you gonna talk about my egg? And she said, Michael, your head was empty. And he said, yeah, so was the tomb. So was the tomb. She said, Michael, are you talking about Jesus? And she said, he said, yes, I am. She said to him, Michael, do you know what happened when the tomb was empty? And Michael said, yeah. Yeah, his, his father raised him from the dead. See, what you have to understand in life is that something either lives inside of you or it doesn't. See, inside of Michael, that morning was life. As the story goes, Michael would die later that year. And on his funeral would be 
19 empty Easter eggs. So what you have to realize this morning is that maybe you've been clinging too much to the wrong life. Maybe you haven't been clinging to the resurrection life of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been trying to hold on to something that's been dead the whole time. And maybe God this morning is trying to surprise you. Let's take a moment and let's have every head bowed. We honor Jesus this morning. I want to just take a moment and give you an opportunity this morning. Don't leave here without the resurrection power of Jesus Christ inside your heart. The Bible says that we all 